The first reading this morning is taken from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 22, and can be found on page 1184 of the Pew Bibles. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. The second reading is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 5, and that's just seven pages back from Colossians. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hello again. Love to be in church with you. Keep your Bibles open at Colossians, though we'll have it up on the screen as well. It's a big uh, steel company and they felt it was time for a bit of a shake-up. And so they hired a new head of human resources. And this new boss was determined to rid the company of all slackers. And on a tour of the facilities, the HR Supremo noticed a, a young fellow leaning against the counter talking to the receptionists. And as the room was full of his workers, he wanted to let them know that he meant business. So in front of them all, he asked this guy, how much do you earn each week? A little surprised, the young man looked up at him and said, I make $500 a week. Why? And the human resources boss said, you wait right here. He went to his office, which was just across the way. He walked back from his office two minutes later and handed the guy $2,000 in cash and said, here's four weeks pay. Get out of here and don't come back. He's feeling pretty good about himself, and so the new boss looked around the room and said, now does anyone want to tell me what that slacker used to do around here? And a faint voice from across the room said, uh, he's the pizza delivery guy from Domino's. <laughs> uh, I've heard a few versions of that story, so I don't know how true it is. <laughs> Not bad for a day's work, is it? Uh, there was a forklift driver who uh, had come up with an ingenious plan to beat the mandatory drug and alcohol test at his workplace. He thought, I'll use my wife's urine for the sample. And when his boss... Ingenious, right? And when his boss handed him the results, she reportedly said to him, congratulations, you're pregnant. (laughs) 
and you're also fired. <laughs> what do you reckon it means to be a good boss? And what do you reckon it means to be a hard worker? They are actually the questions before us from the verses we've read from the New Testament book of Colossians and elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, as I've mentioned last week, as Andrew mentioned this morning, we're tracking our way through this New Testament letter that w- that's known as Colossians, which really majors on the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ above all things. Uh, and yet it also drills down to investigate what it looks like to follow Jesus across every aspect of life. Uh, for example, we've looked at marriages and families over the last two weeks. Uh, and today we're going to look at kind of working scenarios. It's true the Christian faith is very, very personal. Uh, It impacts our deepest feelings, our intellect, our um, affections and and also our decisions. But you cannot accurately describe it as a private thing because it impacts all of our lives. It impacts our our finances, our leisure, uh, our families, our sexual ethics and also our work. And so today's topic is the hard worker, and we're going to look at really what these verses mean for workers of all kinds, employees of all kinds, and also for bosses. But you would have noticed from the readings that they don't use the term workers or bosses or employees. It uses the categories slaves and masters. And you see that in your Bibles there from Colossians 3 verse 22 where it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. So before we just jump immediately across to employees and bosses and workers, we need to think about this concept of slaves. Because uh, there are a number of people who effectively write off everything the Apostle Paul has said. In fact, everything the Scriptures say on the basis that the Apostle Paul uh, and perhaps the Bible itself encourages slavery. Or at the very least, in places like Colossians and Ephesians that we've just heard from, They don't say anything to slaves and masters about gaining freedom or about granting freedom. You might have heard people say that. You might have read that. Well, that is a rather basic thing to say that is actually, in the first instance, factually incorrect. You think back to the Old Testament, the archetypal, right? The defining event of the Old Testament was the exodus of God's people out of Egypt, that God-ordained liberation of slavery. In fact, the rest of the Old Testament looks back to that emancipation as the great act of God in the history of his people. And in fact, that liberation from slavery forms um, kind of the theological setting, the backdrop for Jesus' own life and death and resurrection, which frees us from our slavery to sin and death and the devil should we turn and trust in Jesus. Furthermore, in the New Testament letter called Philemon, which is closely associated with this book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul argues um, for Philemon, who was a Christian master, to release his slave, who was called Onesimus, so that Onesimus might be not just a free man, but also a dear brother in the Lord. And then furthermore, furthermore, if you're allowed to have two of those, in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 21, the Apostle Paul actually does encourage slaves to gain their freedom wherever they can. So it's kind of factually untrue, but, but actually the broader kind of reality is that slavery in New Testament times is quite different to what we first think of when we hear those words, where we typically either think of uh, black African folks who are sometimes called Negroes kidnapped from the African continent to work on the cotton plantations in the deep south of the United States, 
Or we might think of those who are enslaved as sex workers or factory workers in our day and age, against their will, with no hope of release. So I just need you to see that first century slaves are actually quite different to what we first think of. They often sold themselves into slavery for financial reasons. In fact, the, the usual term for slave in the New Testament is a word that meant bond servant. In other words, one who sold himself into slavery for financial reasons. Many of them were well educated. Many rose to prominent positions within the households in which they served. They were generally treated with respect. They could marry. They could accumulate wealth. They could run a business. They could purchase their freedom. They were normally set free by age 30 under the Roman laws. Now, obviously, there were many abuses of slavery as well, especially in the western half of the Roman Empire, because uh, there was a crackdown in that part following a slave revolt that was led by Spartacus in 73 BC. But as much as kind of two-thirds of the Roman Empire were slaves at the time of the writing of the New Testament, uh, and it was just a feature of the society that, that a lone person like the Apostle Paul couldn't overturn... Or, or even outrightly condemn. Otherwise, slaves would starve. And he might have even had that disastrous result of Spartacus' rebellion fresh in his mind. And so, like other secular Roman thinkers like Seneca, what he did is he, he argued for the humane treatment of slaves and an improvement in their situation, especially among Christian-believing masters. Okay, so I'm not arguing for slavery. I'm just saying here's the reason why the Apostle Paul doesn't outrightly condemn it or try to overturn it. Now, equally true is that first century slaves aren't the same as modern day employees, but there are many similar characteristics. And so we can learn from Paul's instructions to slaves and masters here. And look, I just want you to ask yourself with whatever kind of work it is that you do, whether it's in the office, whether it's on the construction site, whether you're caring for little children or aging parents or, a, or an aging spouse, or even, you, even if you're just trying to face each day without giving up, how free are you just to leave your work? You're not free to leave that dependent child or your aging parent. I wonder if you saw this week that for the very first time ever, statistically, it now requires more than two full-time average-earning Australian salaries in order to service a mortgage on a typical Aussie home. So you're feeling free to leave your job? Probably not. And maybe we're actually not that different from first-century slaves. Maybe there is things that we can learn from the apostle here. First, if we're workers and then if we're bosses. And so firstly then today, he says, slaves obey your masters or workers obey your bosses, if you'll allow me to make that jump. And you see that very, very basic instruction in both Colossians and Ephesians. I've got them up here on the screen. Slaves obey your earthly masters in everything. Uh, down in Ephesians 6, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. So whilst our, our very first word to modern-day slaves, factory workers or sex workers, whatever it might be, might be to get out, I'm actually going to hear from someone about that next week, in that very different social institution of the first century, the basic posture of slaves to their masters, their employers, was one of obedience. You might have even picked up 
that that's the same phrasing that's used to describe the relationship of children to parents in Colossians 3 verse 20. And that posture of obedience, I think, is the basic attitude that we ought to have in relationship uh, as workers to our bosses. Did you notice it doesn't say, uh, obey your bosses if they're really good people. Obey your bosses if um, they don't take credit for your hard work. Obey your bosses if they don't have wild mood swings or if they don't operate out of irrational fear. Friends, I'm sure you're just like me and you have worked for great bosses. And let me tell you, I've got a great boss right now in Bruce. He's a great boss. But you've probably also worked for bosses that could be only politely described as pigs, I'm guessing. If your boss is effectively the child who's dependent on you that you're raising or nursing or, or a parent or a partner that you're caring for uh, or an organisation that you volunteer for, do you find that they're always really appreciative of your work? If I was to ask Katie in a few weeks' time whether her newborn really appreciated her getting up in the middle of the night to feed or all that sort of stuff, do you think that it's going to be appreciative? No. So what we need to do is just acknowledge that that's not always going to be the case, that our bosses are going to be appreciative, and move on with this general instruction. I'm sure there are going to be exceptions uh, where we have abusive bosses, where we have overbearing bosses, where we have bosses that ask us to break the law of the land or the law of the Lord, in which case we just say, no, thank you very much. But uh, other than that, the basic posture of workers to bosses is one of obedience. And look, I found it striking when I looked at both Colossians and Ephesians, how they encouraged us as workers to work for our bosses in all kinds of work with all of our hearts. Did you notice that? Have a look at that. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Or down in Ephesians 6 there, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. It's effectively saying, throw yourself into the work that God has put before you, whatever it is. You know the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. You remember that? Here the Apostle Paul uses the same words and he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. We can't just pick and choose the bits that we like and work hard at those. Friends, every job has got dull, boring, routine, non-inspiring bits. And so as workers with whatever we do, whether it's paid, unpaid, voluntary, high profile, behind the scenes, in the office, in the home, in the community, on the job site, in the classroom, wherever it is, work at it with all your heart. Let me encourage you to do that. There was a couple in um, San Francisco that went away on a holiday and got quite a surprise when they returned earlier than expected to find the house sitter whom they had hired to look after their place had actually rented it out on Airbnb. I wonder how you'd feel about that. Friends, even if our bosses are not around, even if they can't see our work, uh, we're reminded today to still work hard. And that's the next thing we see in those parallel passages. Workers should work hard whether their bosses are watching or not. It doesn't matter whether they see our efforts or not. Let's have a look at Colossians 3. It's underlined up here. 
Uh, Obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart. Or down in Ephesians 6, obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you. Now, I, I must admit, I did get a little bit excited at one of only two mentions of curry in the Bible. I was like, this looks good. But actually, it's the phrase when their eye is on you that's, that's more interesting. Literally, it, it, it says eye service. Don't just give eye service, something that's done merely for the sake of external appearances. In other words, you're just trying to look good rather than be good. And, and so these verses are encouraging us towards integrity and they're encouraging us towards consistency in our work so that who we are when people are watching is actually the same as who we are when no one is watching. Well, that's tricky, isn't it? That's challenging. In fact, today's passage tells us more about why we ought to do that rather than how to do that, which I think is very helpful because the question that comes to mind is, who cares? Like, if no one is watching, who really cares what we do? Or alternatively, what's going to be our motivation to work hard with all our hearts if our bosses aren't watching? Well, the answer for Christians is that we actually have two bosses. One is our earthly master and the other is the Lord Jesus. Well, that's what it says in Colossians 3, uh, verse 22 and 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not human masters, for it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Uh, Obey them, that's your earthly masters, but as slaves of Christ, it says in Ephesians 6, doing the will of God from your heart, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. I remember one day in uh, my first career, I've had three now, um, working for one of the big accounting firms, and I just I couldn't actually drag myself out of bed to go to work. Uh, it's the only day that it's ever happened, but on that day, I, I just think I could not do it. It's probably an indication of my um, mental situation at the time, and probably also an indication that I was in a job that ultimately I wasn't suited for. But actually, I wonder if I had hoped for too much from my work. Do you find that in our day and age, we expect our work, whatever it might be, a paid, unpaid, voluntary, whatever, we expect it to be too fulfilling. We think that our careers will bring us, you know, just ultimate fulfillment and bring us actually kind of like life itself and satisfaction and identity Do you find that our work and perhaps even our parenting fits into this? We're hoping to leave something lasting on the earth. We hope to have a legacy via our work. You know, I I bet first century slaves never thought that at all. And I'm just suggesting that a greater satisfaction might permeate everything we do, whatever we do. If we remember Christians, we are serving a great boss who's not an earthly master, but who is Lord of all because he's over all and who sees all. Even if our human bosses don't appreciate our efforts, perhaps even when they take credit for our hard work. You know, friends, I think we can hope for too much from our work, and yet at the very same time we can hope for too little from it, Uh, especially those of us uh, where there's no great monetary reward, where there's no great social status, where there's no personal fulfilment from it. But the Lord Jesus sees our work, whatever we do, as part of our worship of him. That actually means every messy bench top we clean, every article we write, 
every picture we paint, every piece of advice that we draft, every marketing campaign we oversee, every assignment we submit, every deal that we make, every meal that we make, every client interaction, every class activity, every act of service and kindness, every visitation we make is an opportunity to serve him by doing it well, by doing it with a glad and sincere heart, by being happy that our labour contributes to the benefit of others, by knowing that even if not one other soul on this good earth sees what we do, that he sees it and that it counts to him. And so, friends, let me encourage you with whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. There is, uh, in these verses, I think, another um, piece of motivation for us to work at whatever we do with all our hearts as working for the Lord. And that is that he not only sees what we do, but he actually promises to reward us for our faithful work. Now, if you think about it, there are all sorts of ways that employees are rewarded by their bosses, the most obvious of which is getting paid. Uh, that's the most important one. Uh, but I remember when I was in my second career, which was publishing in the late 90s, I was given a dinner voucher for $150 after we successfully launched a new magazine. Now, let's not get carried away. The magazine was in financial compliance. And it wasn't that successful because we closed it down the year later. And the dinner voucher was for a restaurant in Top Ride. That's just west of here, okay? Uh, but $150 in 1998, man, man, I couldn't even spend it all. Although I reckon I'd give it a red-hot go these days. The bill came to $133. I remember that. And I felt like king of the world. Well, king of top ride, anyway. <laughs> but if you're a first-century slave, what, what expectation do you think you would have of reward at the end of your day? Certainly not dinner vouchers. You might have an expectation of retribution from an overbearing master, mightn't you? But probably very little expectation of reward, and let me say zero expectation of an inheritance, as under Roman laws, slaves could not inherit anything. So into their lives, the Apostle Paul makes this great and wonderful promise in verse 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And it says basically the same thing in Ephesians 6. The Lord's going to reward you with an inheritance. No doubt talking about the reward of eternal life, if you've turned and trust in Jesus. No doubt talking about uh, you know, a place at the table of the king of the universe, if you followed him in your life. Seated on a throne, as it were, sharing in the, the rule and the reign and the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also suspect whatever other rewards might be in store for those who serve Christ faithfully in whatever work he puts before us to do on this wonderful planet. And because he sees everything, and because we were reminded from Ephesians 6 that there is no favoritism with him, we can be assured that he judges fairly without regard to position or title or status, whether you're slave or free, whether you're a boss or a worker. And so he says, slaves, obey your masters in that setting. Employees, work hard for your earthly bosses in whatever you do. Do it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord. So that's the first thing. Secondly, 
and uh, much more quickly, he says, Masters, treat your slaves fairly, or bosses, treat your workers well. Now, it's not going to be very long, like a few minutes before we're out in the courtyard having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, and I reckon we could trade stories all day long out there about bad bosses that we've had. There was a global poll from a, um, uh, a, global, a worldwide kind of job search site, and they found that 32% of employees, right, that's one in three, this very day reckon they have a horrible boss, one in three, and only 15% reckon they have an excellent boss. There are apparently four types of bad bosses. That's typically how we classify them. First of all, there are the narcissists who care more about self-promotion than their staff. They really ask for feedback on their performance because they don't believe they are ever the problem. They take all the credit for an accomplishment and point the finger when things go wrong. Thank you very much, the narcissists. Then there are the ghosts. They are the ones who say they care about employee development, but uh, they're rarely around to support their staff or to answer questions. They're uh, not responsive via phone, and emails from them are brief and sporadic. They're ghosts. Then, of course, there are the best friends who sound like they'd be great bosses, but they're not because all they want is their employees to love them. You know, they want to be included in the conversation around the water cooler, but that can't happen, can it? Because the conversation is actually about them, usually, isn't it? Want to get invited to after-work <laughs> after drinks? It's not going to happen. You're the boss. And then, of course, there are the whirlwinds. They're always on the run. They want to get an update on the project, but they've only got 60 seconds to listen, and the time is counting. You know, they might ask you to do something, and they forget they ever asked you to do it. The results are chaotic. Have you ever had a boss like one of those? Raise your hands. That's all of us, isn't it? <laughs> Have you ever been a boss like one of them? Ah, there we go. There's two honest people amongst us. Now, what do you reckon it means to be a good Christian boss? Well, Colossians reminds us of these words, uh, last verse of chapter 3, first verse of chapter 4. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. In other words, if you're a boss, you can't get away with it just because you're a boss with God. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. In that uh, little tiny church in, uh, of the Colossians, probably in modern-day Turkey, it's highly likely there were way more slaves than masters, which is why the weight of instruction is given to slaves. But rather than encouraging the slaves to rise up and rebel, which risked them being starved or killed, the Apostle Paul instead urges inward, gospel-hearted change from the Christian masters in the church. Because he knew that like a minuscule number of Christian masters could not uproot a whole social institution in the Roman Empire, but they could improve or relieve the situation for a bunch of slaves by providing them with what is right and fair and by not threatening them or treating them ruthlessly, even though they could get away with it. Now, in this church, let me say, we have a lot of bosses and a lot of business owners. Now, that means historically, we're an outlier. We are an anomaly amongst churches down the ages. So business owners and bosses want you to think very carefully about how you conduct your business and how you treat those who work for you and those who work with you. And maybe you could ask yourself some of these questions. Firstly, do you pay your staff properly? 
Don't you find it disturbing that in our culture recently, in our society, businesses, bosses have taken advantage of young workers underpaying them, foreign workers underpaying them because they could get away with it? Business owners and bosses, do you pay your staff properly? Do you lie, especially to cover up your own mistakes? Do you ever admit to being wrong? Do you overpromise but underdeliver to your staff? Are you quick to blame your workers for their failures but slow to express gratitude when they succeed or do a good job? Do you have a pesky habit of calling them on their day off? It means you're a tool if you do that. Do you hog the limelight? Do you frequently use the word I when talking about success? Do you constantly change your mind? Do you constantly change your mood? Is your staff's work ever good enough? And would they know it? And maybe perhaps the most important one is, if your employees could only determine from the way you treated them whether you were someone who has been shaped definitively by the grace and integrity that comes from following Jesus, would they be able to tell it from the way you treated them? Would they guess that? Masters are only masters in the earthly realm. Bosses are only bosses in the workplace. Friends, all of us have got a master who is in heaven and he sees all and there is no favoritism. So following him is going to change the way that we work, whatever it is that we do. And it's going to change the way that we treat those who work for us and work with us. Being a Christian, you see, becomes a real equaliser in the workplace, at least insofar as the way we think about ourselves and the way that we treat others, even if we occupy the corner office. It actually means that bosses treat their workers well. Now, as we finish, I'm going to finish with a story on the set of a great Hollywood film, uh, a young man, really a boy I suppose, was hired to sweep the set floor after each take. And he threw himself into this repetitive and uh, rather poorly paid task with great enthusiasm and dedication day after day. And eventually he drew the attention of the film's lead actor, the star of the show, who was himself losing interest in the project. And the star actually asked the boy this question. He said, I've noticed you around. Why do you race around this place like a fiend when yours is the crummiest job that nobody else wants? I mean, you get, you, you get paid loose change that most of us here wouldn't even pick up if it was on the footpath. No one's interested in you. You get ordered around like a slave and all you do is sweep the floor again and again and again. Why are you so enthusiastic? Undaunted by the tone of the actor's question, the boy looked up at him and replied, Sir, it might look like I am just sweeping the floor, but in fact I'm helping to make the greatest film in the history of cinema. And he was, wasn't he? Friends, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, for we are just playing our tiny part in the best story ever written, because it's written by God, and it stars the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will be rewarded with so much more than loose change. Let's finish in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us work to do, whatever it might be, paid, unpaid, voluntary, in the office, on the job site, in the classroom, in the home. 
caring for children, caring for parents, caring for partners, whatever it might be. Help us to work at whatever we do with all our hearts, even if our bosses aren't watching, even if they never or can't appreciate what we do. Help us to work at it as though we are working for you. Move our hearts to work well with a recognition that you see all and you will reward us for work done well. So we pray that we might work to the honour and glory of Jesus' name. Amen.